It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Farm Talk with John O'Connor. Later in the program, Dairy Gold Wastewater Treatment Plant opened in Mallow. Robert's Cove Vintage Festival on tomorrow's Sunday. Forestry update with John Casey Chagask. Also, the emissions reduction target of 25% set for agriculture. We get some reaction. Plus an update on leasing your land for solar panels. We talk to Ms. Ashton Meehan, agricultural solicitor and registered tax consultant. Dairy Gold, our sponsor, has officially opened its upgraded wastewater treatment plant at its nutritionals campus in Mallow County, Cork. The significant investment and upgrading of the plant includes the installation of a new 4 million euro state-of-the-art BNR system, Biological Nutrient Removal System. This new BNR system is a more effective system of wastewater treatment and will help future-proof the long-term environmental sustainability of the Mallow Nutritional Campus. This significant investment forms part of Dairy Gold's 10-year capital investment programme, which has seen €180 million invested in Mallow Nutritionals Campus since 2014. This investment has increased the weekly milk processing capacity to cater for milk supply for the next number of years. Also included in this investment programme is the current installation of a new evaporator, which will provide Dairy Gold capability to produce higher specification milk powders for sale to its added value nutritional customers, operational in 2023. Speaking at the official opening, Dairy Gold Chief Executive Mr Conor Galvin said, Dairy Gold has invested a considerable sum of money to ensure the viability of our excellent facilities and the business as a whole for generations to come. Dairy Gold Chief Executive Mr Conor Galvin said he was delighted to officially open the upgraded wastewater treatment plant. Mr Galvin pointed out that the investment here in Mallow was in keeping with other positive developments Dairy Gold is involved with in Mallow, such as the development of the Mallow South Retail Park. Dairy Gold has received planning permission for a new co-op superstore and a residential development on the site with separate planning permission granted to Lidl for a new store also on the site. Mr Galvin said... Dairy Gold were excited to see how these projects would further boost the social and economic prospects of the area. Comments by Dairy Gold Chief Executive Mr Conor Galvin speaking at the official opening of the new Dairy Gold Upgraded Wastewater Treatment Plant 
at its nutritionals campus in Mallow and County Cork. Next in the programme, reaction to the setting of a 25% emissions reduction target for agriculture. Mr Pat O'Toole, political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Pat, welcome to the programme. You have an overview of what we know already about the 25% emission reduction target. Our understanding is that the emissions target will be 25%. We don't yet know the full breakdown of all six sectors, what the exact emissions will be. And that does matter because uh, one of those other sectors is land use, land use change and forestry, uh, known as LULUCF. And farmers are going to have to provide most of the solutions to uh, carbon re- uh, emission reductions for that sector as well. But the big debate's been around uh, around agriculture and uh, most of the uh, government's time has been taken on coming up with a compromise around agriculture. It is a compromise. Uh, the band was 22 to 30. We had this political fudge last November with the announcement of these broad bands. Uh, that's now been narrowed to a specific target of 25%. You could argue it's less than halfway. 26% would have been halfway. Farmers would say that anything over 22 is unknown territory because we don't really know how to get to 22. The plans are in place to get up to 18 with the uh, marginal abatement measures, uh, the MAC curve as it's known, things like low emission slurry spreading, like transferring from or transitioning from uh, urea to protected urea. Um, But... Beyond 18% reduction, uh, we're into unknown territory. We need new technologies or we're looking at a cut in livestock numbers. The cattle, uh, the national herd, uh, beef and dairy farmers are going to have to uh, be collectively carry less animals. So it's not simple. The farm organisations have reacted pretty negatively. The ICMSA have said that uh, 25% moves the ask from difficult to impossible. ISA are looking for pathways from government. They're saying that uh, that anything over 22%, you know, like I was saying, needs needs some kind of a, a pathway. Um, they accused the President Tim Cullinan said that the, the deal was more about the survival of the government than the survival of rural Ireland and described it as a potentially devastating blow. The ICSA Dermot Kelleher, president, called for the uh, immediate banning of all meat imports into the European Union. So uh, straight away, we have, you know, a, a negative response from the farm organisations. That's understandable. They're there trying to advocate and, you know, advance their members' interests. But I think the reality is that we're going to have to knuckle down soon and find ways of achieving this target. And we carry this story on our front page this week where there's a proposal within the uh, Dairy Forum, the Food Vision Dairy Group, for a, a cessation scheme for farmers where up to €5,000 per cow will be paid for people who would cease uh, carrying cows. There's a lot of road to go with that. It's just a proposal. And our, my understanding is that the land would effectively be sterilised for animal farming um, if, if someone took the €5,000 per animal. But it could offer a way out for an older suckler or dairy farmer with no identified heir uh, who is considering their options going forward. Uh, So we have an ageing profile in our farming population. 
uh, and, and they're, it's forgotten often that while we dairying is the, uh, I suppose, the blossoming child in Irish farming, and there's, there's a huge surge of young, ambitious dairy farmers. There are a lot of dairy farmers with less than 50 cows. There are a lot of dairy farmers over 60, and uh, some of them may consider this option. Brambia recently, uh, when they were trying to manage uh, what they saw as, you know, an oversupply of milk coming for this year and next year, when the uh, planning around their new plant in Bellevue was being held up, they put forward a, a voluntary cessation scheme, a very modest one, and they were surprised at the level of interest, if not uptake, in that scheme. So there's an appetite there. That does not mean any of this is easy. None of this is easy. But it is necessary, and farming has never been easy. Mr Pat O'Toole, political correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you, Pat. Next, more on the proposal to pay farmers €5,000 to cull cows. Mr Jack Kennedy, Deputy Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. Jack, welcome to the programme. Well, John, I suppose this piece is, is ongoing even before, I suppose, the, 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 the emission target was released this week. It's, it's part of the Food Vision uh, Dairy Group where they're looking at ways that farmers can work with uh, trying to reduce emissions on their, on their farms. And one of the proposals is to kind of operate, a, a, I suppose, a, a cow culling uh, scheme where farmers would be compensated for reducing the number of cows they're herd. And one of the pieces in that piece of work that's ongoing at the moment with that Food Vision Dairy Group is that they would pay farmers €5,000 per cow for, for, for uh, reducing the size of the herd. So it's one proposal um, as part of that Food Vision Dairy Group um, that, that's, I suppose, being discussed by stakeholders at the moment. Great work being done to find this new feed additive, develop this new feed additive, which could cut Irish dairy cattle emissions by 60%. There's no doubt about it. And, and, but it comes at a cost, John. And, and I suppose this, this came out again as part of that Food Vision Dairy Group, that it could cost up to €100 Euros per cow per year, which is a significant cost, again, and just shows the, the length that farmers would go to. Because, I mean, I, I, I've no doubt that farmers, if it is an improvement for the environment, and if, if it does, as you say, up to 60% reduction in methane, I've no doubt farmers will, will use it. But, I mean, it, 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 again, it, it's still not available, and, and we need a bit of time, and farmers need a bit of time to get some of these technologies up and going, John, and, and imposing cuts and, and serious uh, legal limitations on farms is, is I, I call it um, a very lazy way of doing business like we say when, when farmers are up for uh, developing and taking on new technology. Some very good news for those unfortunates who find themselves on fixed prices for the milk they sell to their co-op but at the same time no one expected the vast increase in the cost of inputs and of course they are not fixed. They can go up and up and up uh, as far as they like. For our own sponsor, Dairy Gold, and some other people on fixed price contracts, there's been a bit of relief. There are some developments in recent days. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Dairy Gold have, have come to the party to, the, to those suppliers that have been caught with the fixed milk price. So as, as you say, they, they fixed the output price, but, but the in price, input prices weren't fixed, and, and all of a sudden the cost of production is a lot more than what they had fixed milk price at. So that's a big challenge for some of those farmers. It might be only a proportion of their annual milk supply, but it's still a big challenge if they're losing money on that particular, on the, on that particular part of their, of their annual production. So Dairy Gold have come to the party and they've kind of, I, I'd say they've come up with six cents a litre on top of the fixed milk price, bringing the cost, bringing the, I suppose, the cost of that milk up over 40 cents a litre, which effectively is close enough to kind of the cost of production. So it means at least those dairy farmers are not losing money on, on that milk and they'll be very happy with that decision by Dairy Gold Co-op to kind of work with 
industry partners like Ornua to put something on the table for, for those farmers that are in a tight spot at the moment. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Jack Kennedy, Deputy Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you, Jack, very much indeed. Thanks, Thanks a million. John. Talk again soon. The Roberts Cove Vintage Car and Tractor Run Festival is taking place tomorrow, Sunday, 31st of July. Official opening by RTE's Brian O'Donovan at 2.45pm. Registration of vintage cars at the GA Grounds Belgooly near Kinsale and vintage tractors registration at Roberts Cove Beach. Both sets of registrations at 11am. Registration donations in support of local St Vincent de Paul and Kinsale Youth Support Services. The amount of voluntary donation will be up to each individual vehicle owner entering the festival run. Music at the festival field, the Jive Kings on the main stage, 1pm to 2.45pm. Gina and the Champions with our full band on the main stage at 3pm. The tractor run will last about an hour, travelling along the scenic route, taking in Oyster Bay and other points en route to Rocky Bay and returning to Roberts Cove. A working thrashing machine will be on show, plus an amazing array of vintage cars, tractors, a steam engine and other fascinating machines on the festival field. There will be a dog show where pets will be judged and visitors may bring their own dog on the day for the show. That's 1pm to 2pm. It's planned to have food stalls and trade stands. That's Roberts Cove Vintage Car and Tractor Run Festival on tomorrow, Sunday, 31st of July. Registration of vehicles, 11am as directed. Vintage cars, the GA Grounds, Belgooly. Vintage tractors, Roberts Cove Beach. Official opening, 2.45, by RTE's Brian O'Donovan. A great day out for all of the family, especially vintage enthusiasts. Senator Pippa Hackett, Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, led a high-level trade mission to Germany recently to promote the sale of Irish organic foods. She began the visit on Monday, 25th of July. The visit coincided with Biofac, the world's leading trade fair for organic produce, where Bordbia hosted the Origin Green Ireland stand. Biofac took place in Nuremberg, Germany, from July 26th to 29th inclusive. Biofac is a unique gathering of organic producers, farmers, educators, retailers and policymakers and those who recognise the long-term viability and value of organic production. During the trade mission, the Minister supported Irish organic food companies as they met with international buyers. Minister Hackett highlighted the export opportunities which exist for organic beef and lamb, but also noted that organic seafood exports from Ireland were valued at €98 million in 2021 and had been an excellent example of the potential for developing a market for quality organic products in Germany. In advance of departing for the trade mission on Monday 25th of July, the minister said the German organic market is the largest in Europe in terms of value and was worth €15.9 billion in 2021. The Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Charlie McConnell, on 28th of July, welcomed the state aid approval to facilitate the implementation of the voluntary decommissioning scheme for the whitefish fishing fleet recommended by the report of the Seafood Task Force in October 2021. 
Reacting to the approval decision by the EU Commission, Minister McConnell-Luke said the Seafood Task Force, which had included representatives of the five fisheries producer organisations and the four main fisheries cooperatives, recommended in its October 2021 report that a voluntary decommissioning scheme should be implemented to help restore balance between fishing fleet capacity and available quotas, following the reductions in quotas for stocks arising from the European Union, United Kingdom Trade and Cooperation Agreement. Joining us on the Farm Programme, we have Mr John Casey, Forestry Development Officer, Chagas Sandfield Mallow. First of all, John, welcome to the programme. Now, you've kindly agreed to address some forestry-related topics, obviously a very wide field. But could we give a brief overview of the current forestry programme in terms of planting, harvesting and support for forest owners? OK, uh, thanks, John. Um, yes, yeah, so the planting programme, uh, it's coming... Well, the current forestry programme is coming to an end in 2022. Uh, there will be a new one in 2023. As it stands at the moment, the planting programme is probably a little down. It's, uh, it's at 2,000 hectares a year now at the moment. The national plan and going forward will require about 8,000 hectares. So I suppose we can anticipate that there will probably be uh, an increase in premiums and possible supports as well. Uh that would be the afforestation, that is, planting new land. In terms of actual the harvesting, the harvesting by private forest owners, mainly farmers, has increased very substantially in the last while. Uh, and it would be expected that certainly by 2025 that it would match the output from from Quilta's, uh forest. So, again, that's, that's quite a lot of timber. Felling licences... Are they a great problem at the moment, or are things uh, moving? Uh, it, it is still an issue, undoubtedly. It has improved. Uh, my advice to forest owners would be that if they were going to be either thinning or clear felling uh, within the next two years, that they would apply for the felling license now. That they would get they get the the license in place, rather than having a situation where they wish to thin or there's harvesting going on nearby and they can't avail of the opportunity. So, I, you know, if you're coming up for thinning or coming up for clear felling, apply for the license now. Normally, the licenses last for five to ten years. So it gives you a certain amount of flexibility. OK, but there are there are delays in it in that it does take time to actually uh, the process. Uh, I would say a minimum you're looking at four months, but it's likely to be six or eight months. Now, people, the average listener, even a person without a forest or not in farming, they've become aware of the environment and the important role of trees and forestry in being so-called carbon sinks. So how can forestry support agriculture in meeting the environmental targets being set uh, as we speak for agriculture and the general desire to reduce harmful gas emissions into the atmosphere? Well, I suppose in terms of the forestry itself, at 8,000 hectares, you're looking at barely sufficient amount of forestry to act uh, to, to, for carbon sequestration, really, where it, forestry is taking in CO2 and it's uh, releasing oxygen. That's essentially what it's doing, okay? So it does this in a couple of different ways. It's taking in the CO2 and letting out the oxygen, but the, for, the carbon itself as well has been tied up in the timber. So it's there in the timber itself. It's in the soil naturally as well. 
Uh, one of the other things then would be when you when the timber is processed and it's made into sections of the timber, whether it's furniture or whether it's structural timber, you're also capturing that carbon for a longer period of time. Okay, so you know you that, and then you have product substitution. So rather than using more concrete and steel, the more timber you use. It's coming from a renewable source, and it's also tying up carbon for a greater amount of time. With farming itself, of course, everybody's very concerned now with the emission levels, CO2 equivalent and the methane emission levels, and also the, the, the cut in emissions, whatever level that they come with. But forestry by itself is one of the biggest contributors that could possibly be made to reducing emission levels. Even timber, when the tree is cut and processed, still at all those different stages, despite the fact the tree has uh, been chopped up and is effectively dead in terms of growing, nonetheless, the material is still performing a very useful role in containing some of the carbon which might otherwise have been emitted into the atmosphere. Absolutely, yes. It still contains carbon within the, the, the timber itself that's processed. And like I said, this, this product substitution where instead of using high energy and high uh, CO2 production systems like you get for steel and concrete, if you're using timber, uh, you're also saving that way as well. Forestry knowledge working groups. How do these KTGs actually work? Why should farm foresters get involved with these forestry knowledge working groups? Uh, so these knowledge transfer groups, the idea is to build up a knowledge and capacity amongst forest owners. A lot of forest owners are first-generation owners. They, they haven't had forestry beforehand. So we're trying to build up that knowledge. But it's also about sharing information. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of these owners have had some experience obtaining and carrying out operations within forestry. So the idea is to share this information amongst them and to, do, you know, to learn from each other. Uh, it's a very powerful learning tool for owners, whether it's either forestry or whether it's uh, beef knowledge transfer or sheep transfer groups as well. They're very important. The, the attendees have to attend seven meetings, either in halls or preferably outside in the woods, which is what we're doing. Uh, and then they get paid an amount, uh, 70 euros per event, and they go to seven events. Could you remind our listeners where you are at the moment, which forestry or which area you're in at the moment with your forestry knowledge working groups as we speak? Yes, uh, I'm in Cattle Height, actually, in uh, County Tipperary. Uh, and it's with, in this case, it's with the Forest Owner Co-Operative Society. Uh, they're running this event today. But there are other events being run by forestry companies as well. So what I would suggest is that for those forest owners that are interested in doing this, uh, have a look at the Chagas website. There'll be some information there. Uh, these events have been run around, these knowledge transfer groups have been run around the, the country in uh, in the county itself. Uh, there's be several of them uh, this autumn. Uh, and like I said, it's a very good way of, you know, the, the groups themselves normally have 20 or less, so it's not particularly large. There's a very good interaction amongst the people that are there. Uh, there's a lot of information to be there. There's a lot of connections to be made. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. And like I said, you're talking to a lot of other forest owners that are in the same boat as yourself. Like-minded people with uh, like-minded problems and perhaps by learning from little mistakes they made, you could uh, avoid a lot of trouble and be very grateful for the information you picked up as a member or taking part in the Forestry Knowledge Working Groups. For several years now, we've had the issue of ash dieback and the hopes that some resistant strain might evolve or be developed. So ash dieback, anything at all positive we can say in terms of, um, you know, the damage um, easing off, which has been considerable? No, I don't. Unfortunately, no, it's not going to ease off. I mean, the ash is recorded now in every county um, in the Republic. There's about 600, uh, 600 sites plus reported. Uh but you can see it in the hedgerows, uh, and unfortunately, it is going to continue to expand. Now, Chagas have a research project, uh, and a project, and we are identifying resistant trees, ash trees. We are then cloning them, and we are developing them to, to, to actually, into the future, have an ash population that's resistant to this disease. Unfortunately, for the trees that are already in the hedgerows and in the plantations, you know, this isn't going to be uh, this isn't going to be of much use. But there will be ash in the future. The trees that are there at the moment, though, a lot of them are going to be very vulnerable, and quite a share of them are going to die. The role of the bark beetle with climate warming we've seen in many countries. On top of the risk of fire, you have the bark beetle multiplying, linked in apparently with uh, climate warming. So the bark beetle. Is that a huge problem or a problem at all in our Irish forests uh, so far, John? No. Uh, the, the, yes, the, the, the bark beetle is in the UK. Uh, there is a, they've 
slightly increased the, the exclusion area or the control area around London and Kent in that area. But no, it isn't in Ireland. Uh, that's Ips Topographus is the, the name of the bark beetle. We do have a, a pine weevil here. Uh, and, you know, there are different controls in place for that. Uh, but no, we don't have the bark beetle at the moment. And hopefully that will continue to be so. This is one reason why these phytosanitary checks have increased in the importation of timber into the country. But we all need to remain aware of it and keep an eye out for it. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. John Casey, Forestry Development Officer, Chagas Sandfield Mallow, currently at a forest in Cadiz-Ivrary, part of a forestry knowledge working group uh, transfer of knowledge. Thank you, John, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Ms. Ashling Meehan, Agricultural Solicitor and Registered Tax Consultant. Welcome to the programme, Ashling. Now, I understand you are receiving a record number of inquiries regarding solar farms, the installation of solar panels on farmland and offers being received by farmers to rent out their land, to lease their land, sometimes in the longer term. So just an update on interest in solar panels by farmers. Thanks, John. Yeah, I've been inundated with queries of late uh, especially in the last couple of months uh, from landowners and farmers in connection with being approached by developers about putting solar panels on their land. And typically what happens, Sean, is that the developer will approach the landowner uh, asking them to give them an option over the land. And essentially what that enables them to do is to come in and to do investigative work on the land and to figure out you know, if there is potential there for solar panel grid connection seems to be a big factor in it and if they were uh, close to an existing uh, grid connection that that makes the the land more amenable to a solar development so the option agreements typically last uh, somewhere between three and five years and depending then on whether they're having issues with planning permission they can be extended for uh, another three years um, and then uh, depending on them getting the grid connection and getting what's called the res, which is, uh, you know, the government tariff uh, towards the, the cost of producing the electricity, uh, then if they're, if they're able to satisfy all those different conditions, the developer then will typically, tr- what's called trigger the option, and then they take a lease, typically of 35 years over the land, and then they develop the land and they put down the solar panels, and typically the, the landowner gets, a thousand, maybe eleven hundred euros uh, per acre. Then each year for the solar panels that are on the land. Um, so depending on where the land is, and I suppose the system of farming, um, and the stage where the farmer is in life, and the size of the farm, etc., um, it's it's it can be a very attractive proposition for for landowners and for farmers. If you're approached by a developer and you're offered what seems to be quite an attractive package, should you still bear in mind the dictum, shop around and compare the offers by other developers? In my experience, John, around the solar, they tend to be much of a much, to be honest. Um, The rent tends to be quite similar. Um, They can vary perhaps maybe with the area and the country um, as like as you as you probably know, I work for farmers all over the country, just given that I specialise in agricultural law. And what I see is that, you know, maybe where there's more competition for land, such as, uh, you know, in kind of dairy-rich countries where they're getting a good return, maybe uh, on long-term leases, 
they might offer a little bit extra for them uh, to entice them to, to lease the land to a solar company instead of maybe to an adjoining landowner. But still, like if you think about the land under the long-term lease, the farmer might be getting, you know, somewhere between maybe 350, 400 euros an acre, which is probably the upper end of it. Um, and that is tax-free depending on how long they give the lease. Whereas if you think about it with the solar, if you're talking about a thousand, maybe 1,100 euros an acre, worst case scenario where the farmer is paying tax at the high rate, he's still, him or her is coming out with over 500 euros an acre. So in my experience, they tend to be in around the same. The terms tend to be in around the same. Um, the other thing I think you need to bear in mind as well is that, you know, typically you need a lot of landowners to sign up to it in order for the project to be viable. So that if you have uh, developers competing for the same area of land and you have, you know, some landowners signing up to some, others signing up to another one, they mightn't have enough landowners signed up to be able to apply for permission and to, to have a viable project. So I find typically that if a particular developer goes into an area, initially there might be a bit of competition. But once they start signing up some of the landowners that then really it's for the other landowners to join suit with that developer or else the project won't go ahead uh, because it just wouldn't have the scale in order for it to be viable. At what stage should farmers check with their solicitor or seek legal advice to make sure what they're signing up to is legally secure and their rights are fully protected? And another aspect, perhaps there may be the additional benefit of being allowed to continue grazing stock in certain circumstances. What people typically do is that the developer will approach them first and, I suppose, gauge general interest in the area to see if the landowners are involved. And then, I suppose, if they get a good a good consensus, uh, they issue then what's called heads of agreement, which typically tends not to be binding. So they might be binding in terms of what's called confidentiality, which means that they don't want the terms of the, the heads of agreement shared amongst competitors. And on occasion, they can be binding as to exclusivity. So that would mean that they couldn't they couldn't uh, negotiate with another developer for a period of typically it's months. Um, and then obviously, if they weren't successful in negotiations, that then they could walk away and they could deal with somebody else. So that's typically the first thing the developer looks for a landowner to sign um, is this heads of agreement. And as I said, they're typically not binding. So. On occasion, I have some landowners that will come to me to have a look at them just to give them comfort that it's not legally binding. And more often than not, they're, they're typically signed without the benefit of legal advice. And it's at the next stage then, once the developers get these signed heads of agreement, then they issue the actual legal agreements, which typically would be an option agreement in a lease. And they would look typically for the name of the nominated solicitor for the landowner and it would be sent directly. And at that point then, the solicitor will contact the landowner and sit down with them and basically go through the legal agreements and I suppose try and explain them in layman's terms. Um, I suppose my own approach to it, John, would be I don't tend to get involved in uh, the commercial negotiations. I I don't really see that as being my role um, because, as I said, the terms tend to be similar and I think it's up to the landowners maybe to push that out a bit if and when they choose. I see my role as really trying to explain in plain English as best I can what exactly the legal agreements provide and then also giving the landowner a steer as to kind of what would be normal in those agreements or what maybe is not so normal um, so that if there were certain provisions in there that, that you know, that wouldn't normally be included, um, I would flag that with the landowner. And then sometimes I would talk to 
maybe the engineer or the legal person in the developer company and trying to get a sense from them as to why, you know, particular provisions are included or what's the justification for them. And then uh, we make our own call then as to whether we seek to get them excluded or not. Could I ask you at this point, Ms. Ashley Meehan, solicitor for the agri-community, for the agricultural questions which arise, could I ask you for a phone contact or website number, or how could people contact you to deal with their individual questions? Because we know in general solar panels, there are rules and regulations, but each farmer's situation will be different. So, Ashton, how could people listening now contact you? My own number is 061-368-412, or the website is agriculture-agri-solicitors.ie. Um, the other thing I just I think is worth mentioning, John, is that in connection with these solar farms, there is particular tax implications of them in terms of qualifying for tax relief in in the context of succession planning. So I often get approached by landowners or farmers in connection with the tax side of it as well, because I'm tax qualified. I, I'm, I'm registered tax consultant with the, with the Associate of Irish Tax Institute. Um, so it's important to just check that aspect of it out, um, because if more than 50% of the land is developed into solar panels, that land no longer qualifies as agricultural property for the purposes of agri-relief, which is a relief from gift tax or inheritance tax. Now, the, I know that the, we'll say the, the, the energy companies are lobbying government at the moment to try and increase that 50% uh, to 100% so that, not, so that even if there was solar panels on the land, it would still be regarded as agricultural land for the purposes of those tax reliefs. But at the moment, if more than 50% of the land is covered in solar panels, it no longer qualifies as agricultural property. So that's something that can affect, we'll say, landowner's decision, and it can affect succession planning. Now, at the same time, there's ways and means around it. I think there's plenty of options there to try and minimise the risk around uh, that succession planning. And it really depends on kind of what age the landowner is, you know, what their succession plans are, whether there's kids interested in the farm or maybe nieces or nephews, etc., um, so it's important to get that aspect uh, uh, checked out also. Very important. People wouldn't end up with uh, buyer's or seller's regret where they should have checked but found, uh, you know, the person approaching them seemed to set all the points out clearly. But then when you've signed on the dotted line, as you've said there, the land, its classification, it won't be agricultural land anymore. And possibly in the longer term, looking at access uh, to the property, would you still have access to your property if it's leased out? Could you still graze sheep and roadways and ultimately, in the end, rehabilitation of the land? So I suppose those would all be issues which might arise. Yeah, and again, like the developers would typically offer a license to the landowner for them to continue to farm the property. Uh, and part of the rationale for that is that in order for the farmer to continue to claim subsidies on the land, they would need to farm it themselves. Um, now, you know, in terms of what the entitlements and whether they continue to be able to claim all their entitlements, there will probably be a reduction in some of the, the, the subsidies they could claim. But the other side of it is I know that some landowners are being offered an annual fee in order to maintain the property and I find that some landowners are taking that. Other people are more um, cautious of it because I suppose the way things are going and with environmental concerns and being able to manage, I suppose, the grass around the solar panels, you know, 
whereas now maybe people, you know, you, we, you know, historically, I suppose people might have sprayed it, but, you know, the way things are going, that that really isn't an option anymore. So then you're looking at maybe grazing it with, with maybe sheep. I heard somebody recently said that they, they're thinking of putting in hens or... So, uh, but that that carries risk with it then, I suppose, especially with the likes of sheep, that if they damage the panels, well, then the landowner has to hold insurance for it. So sometimes landowners feel, listen, do you know what? The risk versus the reward, that it's not worth my while uh, tying myself up to have to maintain this for maybe a long period of time, that they will just take the money that they're getting for the solar panels and leave the obligation or the responsibility of maintaining the land with the actual developer. It can be a very good option for earning income in general, this generation of power through renting out your land, leasing your land for developers to come in and set up these uh, solar panel farms, as it were. Overall, though, on balance, it can be a very good option for earning extra revenue for your land. People have very different views on it. You know, I suppose it's the fear of the unknown as well, that it's a relatively new concept in rural Ireland. And, you know, I suppose some people might have a fear that towns could end up, you know, being, you know, remote or becoming ghost towns almost with these solar panels. But on the other side of it, if you look at the other side of the coin, then there is going to be community funds set up as part of it so that they're going to make investments. Um, so it could be, you know, on the other hand, you look at it, it could be a, a, a new line, a new lifeline in these, you know, small rural communities. Um, the other thing is, like, obviously, it's going to generate a good return for people where, you know, especially, I suppose, if land is marginal, that they mightn't have been making much of a return from the farm. Um, and it might give an opportunity as well for people, you know, to stay in rural Ireland, because if they're making a good return out of these solar panels, OK, fine, they might be working off farm, but they mightn't have to go to the bigger towns or cities that they might have better options, I suppose, because they have this stable income coming from the solar panels. So it's weighing up the pros and the cons of it. Also, it really depends on the circumstances of the landowner. As I said, what age they're at and what type of farming they're doing. And, uh, you know, you come across various different circumstances with people and people of different views. And in the main or the majority of, of people that have, I've been dealing with are pretty positive towards them and see them as as being a positive thing uh, for the family Um, and also providing a a source of income maybe to to non-farming members of the family, Uh, especially if, you know, there is other lands that can be farmed and if some of the the, the land can be diverted to to these solar panels, it can provide an income for non-farming kids. But in the case of a developer who has promised to pay you over a period of 35 years of the lease, if that... uh commercial developer if they go bankrupt and they've no funding i suppose that's something else you must make uh, you must make provision for yeah and again the, the the draft legal agreements typically do make provision because if you think about it that's a that's a great question john that you know you have, you have funders that come in behind these developers and they're spending a vast amount of money uh, so be they private equity investors or be they you know financial institutions like you're talking millions so it's not in their interest that the project goes belly up either. So typically, as part of the legal agreement, they want the landowner to enter into what's called a direct agreement with the funder. So typically, under the agreement, if the rent is late by, say, 21 days, it allows the landowner to go back in onto the land and take possession of the land. But this direct agreement would give maybe a period of three months for the landowner to, I suppose, give the funder an opportunity to go and find a replacement tenant because it's in everyone's interest that the project doesn't fail. 
Um, so they go out to the market, they're trying to find a replacement tenant. Um, and I suppose worst case scenario, if they weren't able to find a replacement tenant to take over the obligations under the lease, well, then normally we look for provision to be included in the option agreement or in the lease that there would be a decommissioning bond or a fund there basically to pay for the, the, the solar panels to be removed from the farm and to be able to restore the farm to the or the land to the condition it was in before the project took place. Um, so in some instances, it's been included as a condition of planning that the developers have to have this fund in place um, or and then or in the alternative it's included in the legal agreement that the developers need to have those those funds in place that if god forbid they went bankrupt that at least there's money there in order to pay for those solar panels to be taken up out of the ground and to give people back their farms and land Speaking to Miss Ashling Mean, agricultural solicitor could I ask you Ashling, what's the main part of rural Ireland that your clientele would be drawn from yeah, it's 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 all over rural Ireland. I suppose with the advent of of technology, John, we are we we have clients all over the country. Many of them down the Cork Kerry direction. Um, so many of them dairy gold farmers. Um, so I'm married to a Cork man, so um, I can't get away from them. Uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's it's all over the country. We act for people all over the country, um, and especially you know, especially with these these. Um, projects these solar projects like they're popping up all over the country and then i often go and i meet landowners and at times at weekends if necessary because the way farming has gone now and and part-time you know people having to work part-time or full-time off farms at the weekends might be the only time that people are available to talk about them and um, so i do offer that um service that they that that you know we make ourselves available as as and when needed um in order to to provide that advice to those landowners the Zoom technology, that I presume has been a great uh, boon to you in recent years. And, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we found the Zoom really came into its own. But you would continue to deal with uh, clients through Zoom as well as uh, the other normal commercial routes. Yeah, it suits some people, John. Like, I, I suppose I find it, um, and I don't mean to, this is a generalisation, but the, the older the older clients tend that you can't be sitting across the table from someone. Um, and I suppose, especially for an initial meeting, I think it's very important that you do you meet someone physically if you can, um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of communication that can go on apart from verbal communication. So, um, and it's it's as important that people are comfortable and that meet me and like get to know me and they're confident and comfortable. I suppose um, that they're they're getting good advice. So I think it's important for, a, a, as I said, a one to one initially. But then after that, once you've kind of you've established some bit of a rapport, um, typically then you go to phone calls or emails or Zoom or um, so it really depends on the preference of, of the client. But we try and facilitate all different types of communication methods um, where possible. Miss Ashling, me and agricultural solicitor, you might please give us that phone number and website again for someone who may have missed it the first time in our conversation. I'd be delighted to. Phone number is 061-368-412. That's 061-368-412. And the website is agrisolicitors.ie. Thank you very much, Ashling. Miss Ashling Mean, Agricultural Solicitor. Thanks, John. Thank you. And that's Farm Talk for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to Barry O'Mahony and Marie Tuig for contributing to the programme again this week particularly to Miss Marie Tuig, news reporter, 96 and 3 FM, for creating our Farm Talk podcasts for the web. 
A special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. And a brief reminder for all vintage tractor and car enthusiasts, the Roberts Cove Vintage Car and Tractor Run Festival is taking place on tomorrow, Sunday, 31st of July, with registration of vehicles 11am at Belgooley for cars and Roberts Cove Beach for tractors. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.